From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. The COVID-19 death rates are higher for patients who have disabilities, according to a new study. Today, I'm speaking with two of the researchers about their work. Dr. Margaret Turk, who's from the Department of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation and also Pediatrics at Upstate, and Dr. Scott Landis from the Aging Studies Institute in the Maxwell School at Syracuse University. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Let's start with the background for your study. What made you want to investigate the death rates for patients with intellectual and developmental disabilities? Well, uh, in the early part of the pandemic, when information was coming out about what the risks were related to uh, severe outcomes, uh, one of them was older age, but the other was uh, a number of health conditions. And in fact, people with disability have many of those health conditions. So hypertension, diabetes, uh, pulmonary issues, cardiovascular diseases. And uh, it became clear that the data that was out there was very generalized and there wasn't really anything that looked at different populations. And again, people with disability uh, really have many of those conditions that lead to a, a bad outcome should you become infected. So um, I was able to um, work with colleagues in the area, uh, Dr. Landis, whom, whom you'll, you'll meet, who has a, a, a long history of looking at the issues related to people with intellectual and developmental disabilities, and Dr. Margaret Formica, who is in the Department of Public Health and Preventive Medicine, who has uh, excellent talents in, uh, in helping looking at epidemiology. And, and the reason we chose IDD, intellectual and developmental disabilities, is because this is a rather large segment of a uh, disability population. Um, and so uh, we felt that it would be important to really begin to look at the issues related to disability and COVID-19 in working with people with IDD. Uh, people with IDD, if I hear you correctly, they have a higher risk of having complications if they contract COVID-19. Do they also have a higher risk of contracting COVID-19? Well, as, as far as we know with this data, they, they don't. But of course, that's something that is, uh, is worth exploring. Um, but uh, as of yet, we, we really don't, don't know that. But they certainly are at risk for having bad outcomes, severe outcomes, uh, like, like dying. And, and I, Dr. Landis may want to jump in here, but one of the other reasons that we took a look at this population is that people with IDD, uh, for the most part, really are, uh, uh, have some issues related to health access um, and with people really understanding what their health care needs are. And Dr. Landis, that's uh, an area that you've investigated previously, right? Part of this is right place at right time. Dr. Turk and I had just completed um, three studies, actually, NIA-sponsored studies, where we were looking at causes of death among folks with intellectual and developmental disability. And one thing we report in those studies is a much higher um, rate of death from pneumonias, which, as we know, is one of the severe complications of COVID-19. So that's one of the things that um, really initiated our concern. But the second thing that Dr. Turk was alluding to is that historically, persons with intellectual and developmental disability in this country have not had as good of access to the healthcare system. And then when they get access to the healthcare system, they're often served by providers who may not have the proper training to know how to um, 
best work with this population, either via communication or via knowing what the risk factors are. One thing that we show in many of our reports is there are a lot of folks in this population who have swallowing difficulties. And if that's not something that is known by a medical care personnel or by a physician, um, they may not attend to more mild symptomatology of COVID-19 you really have to be aware of in order to make sure that folks don't choke or aspirate or develop pneumonia and pneumonitis. So I think that vulnerability that Dr. Turk was refer is referring to is really important. Um, and it's a current concern that we had going in. And one of the reasons that we, we put an early report out saying to folks, you, we really have to be careful because this population may actually have more severe risk from COVID-19. Well, how did you do your study? What data did you draw from? Well, we, we used the uh, Trinetics platform. This is an international platform um, that uh, a number of uh, healthcare centers uh, uh, use for, uh, to, to, for research, to look at uh, health issues with large databases, with large numbers. Um, and uh, we were fortunate that Upstate uh, just recently had uh, gotten access to this. There were, there were two databases, and one was focused mainly on COVID-19. So uh, we were able to look at the data from that platform, uh, which had some limitations because we could only choose certain variables. Um, and we couldn't do a number of, of other uh, uh, analyses we would have wanted to do. Um, by meaning looking for some causes or what's, what some associations might be. Uh, but it did give us very recent and up-to-date data. So the, the data is from uh, January 20th uh, to May 14th. And so we have some, uh, again, uh, up-to-date information. And it's, it helped us to really try to look at some comparisons within the group of people who were diagnosed with COVID-19 who had intellectual and developmental disabilities versus those who did not. And what geographic region did you cover? Well, the, uh, the data that we had uh, was uh, supported by 42 healthcare systems. And so Upstate was one of them. Uh, it is an international system, but the vast majority of data comes from the United States. And within the U.S., uh, it's largely from the Northeast and the Midwest. You're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking with Dr. Margaret Turk from Upstate and Dr. Scott Landis from Syracuse University about the disproportionate death rate from COVID-19 among people with intellectual or developmental disabilities. So please tell us what you found. Well, what we found was that people with intellectual and developmental disabilities actually uh, who became infected with COVID-19 and at earlier ages, and our age groupings were zero to 17, eight, uh, 18 to 74, and then we had an older age group. But within those two younger age groups, people with IDD who had contracted uh, COVID-19, who were diagnosed with COVID-19, in fact, had a higher risk for dying. So they had a higher case fatality risk. Uh, the, the other interesting thing is that uh, what we expected to see and did see was that people with um, intellectual and developmental disabilities across all ages had uh, those 
uh, concerning health conditions, those comorbidities such as hypertension, uh, diabetes, cardiovascular diseases, respiratory diseases, across all ages. We really weren't able because of the platform uh, to look at what the causality might be, meaning what what may what associations may have been with having those. But what we did find was that again, the younger age group, and interestingly, the older age group, uh, were just like the people who were diagnosed with COVID without uh, intellectual and developmental disabilities. So this was a, a, a little bit of a different uh, way of looking at uh, the trends among ages than the, what we see in the typical population. Dr. Landis, did the findings surprise you? I think they, they didn't surprise me, they disturbed me. Um, because um, something that Dr. Turk and I talk about frequently is that there are the way that we have structured services for folks with intellectual and developmental disability in US society, and it is distinct from other countries, um, really means that a lot of folks receive services within congregate care settings. So they're in residential group homes where you may have between four and 14 residents in addition to uh, rotation of staff, staff members coming through. And so in some ways it's, it's a population, a portion of this population is living in settings similar to what you might see in a small nursing home. And as we know, COVID-19 rates have really taken off there. And so we had, along with the concern we had about comorbidities, we had gone into this concern that because of the higher percentage of folks in this population who are living in congregate settings that we would actually see the higher rates, which like Dr. Turk said, we can't look at causality. We weren't able to test for or control for whether someone did or did not live in a congregate setting, but the results do show higher case fatality rates for this Well, on the healthlinkonair.org website, we'll post a link to your study, but in it, you have a number for the number of excess deaths, and I wanted to ask you to sort of explain how you arrive at that number. Yeah, we came up this by extrapolating from the case fatality rates. And the case fatality rates are looking at the rate of death only among the people who have been diagnosed with COVID-19. And so what we found, it, for example, among those who are 18 to 74, is among those with intellectual and developmental disability who died from COVID-19, 4.5% actually died within the next period of time that we measured. Whereas among those without intellectual and developmental disability, 2.7% die. So if you think about if 100,000 folks with intellectual and developmental disability are diagnosed with COVID-19, which we know is quite possible due to the size of this population, we would expect 4,500 of them to die if these numbers that we report in the study actually hold true going forward. Whereas among those without intellectual and developmental disability, we would only expect 2,700 to die, which leads us to saying there will be an excess of 1,800 deaths, which in our mind is, is not really acceptable. We don't know how low that number could go, but our contention is that if we devoted more attention to this population and possibly more funding for the services they receive, that we might be able to reduce these number of excess deaths. So I know your study didn't get into this per se, but knowing about this disparity, um, what do you think we need to be doing, uh, you know, to help people with IDD during this pandemic? Are we doing something wrong that's hurting them, or is there something else we could do that would help? Well, I, I think that initially uh, there was uh, uh, minimal information that, that people could go on. Uh, 
so I, I think people made uh, uh, probably the best decisions they could at the time based on, on limited information. So at the time, remember that uh, we, there was a shortage of uh, protective equipment. So even something as simple as, as a surgical loop mask that you wear behind your ears um, uh, wasn't really available. And that's also true uh, for the testing. Uh, there wasn't a lot of available testing. Uh, here in the central New York area, we, we really had uh, quite a wait to be able to uh, get enough uh, testing. Um, so uh, again, I think we've learned an awful lot from, from this. Um, you'll also remember, and Dr. Landis referred to this, that uh, there were significant issues related to nursing homes, and we, we found that uh, downstate in, in uh, New York City. Uh, again, people with intellectual and developmental disabilities will usually need some type of support, if not full-time, then some portion of time, which indicates that they're going to have close contact with people who will who need to support and, and help them uh, to be functional. And uh, it's many of those people who also did not uh, understand some of the, just the common things that we, we call now very commonplace. So hand hygiene, which we should always do, um, and, and now the, the uh, uh, protective equipment that uh, will be uh, commonplace at least for, for a while. So I think, I think we've, we've learned, um, but we learned a little bit late at the onset. We, we, as a society in the U.S., really haven't had a lot of experience with large pandemics as they have in other parts of the world. So uh, we were not terribly well prepared. And, and again, as Dr. Landis has pointed out, it's uh, it's unclear how much healthcare providers really understand about people with disability, really understand what happens in group homes or what kind of assistance uh, is available to them. So uh, hopefully we will be much more prepared. There'll be better preparedness as as time goes on. Um, CDC has uh, now put out some guidelines, some guidance, uh, but that was a long time in coming. So uh, I think we're catching up, but. Uh, uh, again, I, I, I think I think it's lessons learned that we should not forget this time. So, Dr. Landis, can you tell us how you're continuing your research on this topic? Yeah, we currently are working on another project where we have data from residential group home providers that are providing services for folks with intellectual and developmental disability in the state of New York, and we're examining COVID outcomes among those who live in these group homes and comparing them to kind of state um, outcomes to see whether there's increased risk. And I mean, we're, we'll put this paper out within the next week or so, but what we're finding is that um, there actually are increased case fatality rates among this group home population as well. And one thing that Dr. Turk had alluded to that, I mean, I've been talking to some of these providers as, as we work with this data, and this evidence is obviously anecdotal, um, but they were telling stories that early on during this pandemic, and even some recently, that their employees were having to ask community members for donations of PPE just so that they could go into work and do their job well. And that's, I think that is a policy concern that, that I have is that while the state did a decent job um, up front with prioritizing PPE for hospitals and nursing homes, it has never, even till today, um, given priority to these residential group homes. 
they still are having to bargain to get this PPE. And so I think if we're really going to attend to the needs of this population, we're going to have to treat the facilities in which they live very similar to the way that we treat nursing realize that they need the same priority and they need the same resources in order to ensure that this population stays safe during the pandemic. One other thing is, is that people with, with intellectual and developmental disabilities uh, really need to access this information in a, in a nice way as well. And we, we should not forget that we need to help educate them as well. Well, I want to thank both of you for bringing this to light. Thank you to Upstate's Dr. Margaret Turk, from Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation, and Syracuse University's Dr. Scott Landis from the Maxwell School's Aging Studies Institute. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.